The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps, stomps, stomps. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Side Studies. Well, welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy I Candy Kimsey. More fun than a candy cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. Yes. They had the powder in them. I love right? yeah. the powder. You can like, little... blow them and they... Yeah, they no. like a of powder. Not the ones yes. we had. They oh, had just, like, you had the wrong ones. Yeah, yeah. No, you like would blow them and it would blow out the candy no. smoke. Yeah. Oh, no. They we had just had straight too. up candy. Yeah. We, we, yeah, ours were just like little white candies them. with pink on the end yep. of them. Yeah, and yep. then you would... Yep. You would blow, you suck them in and blow on them, and then it would blow out that they, powder. They, just, they wow. just had like a little bit of powdered you just sugar didn't know how to do near it. the end. Yeah. Huh. And if you blew out like once or twice, yeah. maybe, the, it, it would uh, like do a little poof. If you got, oh, it, if you got it too I wet thought, yeah. or you were like in a humid climate, it didn't work. Yeah. It oh, work. okay. Really? Yep. I had no idea. Thanks, you did not. You cannot buy those now. now. we did have candy heroin. Um, you can. You can <laughs> oh, still buy kidding. candy cigarettes. neighborhood. You can. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah. You can yeah. buy them in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Or Myrtle Beach. I haven't seen them there. Myrtle Beach. Yeah. yeah, Myrtle Beach that definitely does, makes sense. Yeah, you can buy yep. just about anything, including anything monkey pops. you want to. Well, also to my left, <laughs> Sarita the Rita Edgerton. Hello. And to my right, Jerry the Annihilator Lewis. Hello. Again. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies. You guys haven't been here for a while. Nope. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You've been out doing out doing various things and stuff. Yeah, yep. when this episode releases, and stuff. they'll already be back like several weeks in advance. But you're back. I'm so glad. Behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. Oh yeah, yeah. try for that bass. You know. So guys, if you've listened, you, by this point you've already heard uh, that. If you've listened to the testimonies, you've heard Mike Sullivan's testimonies, testimony, and uh, we have him here in the studio with us. So welcome here, Mike. Thanks for having me. So nice to have you here. I'm super excited about this because Billy liked the Olivet Discourse. Cool. Whereas everyone else didn't. And so... <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like it. You just, didn't, just agree didn't agree with it. didn't agree with it. So I need you to focus on Sarita tonight, Mike. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bring it, Mike. My husband's name is Mike, so I'm used to yelling at him. So we'll be good. Yelling at Mike. Yelling at Mike. Yeah, I'm good at yelling at Mike. So... Um, you remember Andy? We did like all of a discourse seven point or six point five. That's when we first yeah. did the notes from the underground, yeah. where we broke it down and we really got deep into it. So we did eight parts, and I asked Mike. Mike came into town today, and he was nice enough to come to the studio. And I asked him if he would bring a study on showing us the all of a discourse in its expanded form in Revelation, and how he can sort of lay it out uh, as simple as possible. This is a very difficult thing to do. It's not easy. Am I right, Mike? You're right. Yeah, and so. <laughs> Um, it's something that I've been. I've told the audience in the past. I've said, "Hey, um, evidently, Revelation is an expanded all of a discourse. I don't know how to lay it out for you yet because I'm still in the midst of this study, and so I'm I'm real curious. What I thought about doing was to read the all of a discourse. You know, because we we've done that in the past. Anybody is you know we've read every time we started, we read through the whole thing, and so I'll read from it out of Matthew, unless you would rather me read from a different book. 
uh, it's up to you. If you guys remember when we did the Oliver Discourse, I'll give you just a really, really quick um, summary. Jesus was in the temple, and he just finished blasting everybody in the temple, uh, basically talking about how he's leaving the house desolate, and then he he's walking out of the temple, and his disciples say to him, you know, look at these beautiful buildings. You know, what do you think of the temple here? And he says, do you see these? I tell you the truth, that not one stone will be left upon another. And so after that point, actually, let's just read that that part, Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come." So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days." Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines from as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other." From the fig tree learn its lesson, as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So I'm going to stop there. Now, Mike, read the entire book of Revelation. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, tell me this. Um, in your podcast on the Olivet Discourse, yes, 
what have you covered? What have you not covered? We took it all the way, all the way to where this generation shall not pass. And it was basically, it was based off of Pastor Curtis's study on the Olivet Discourse. He did it in, I think, 12, and we shortened it down to eight. But we got all the way to the sun will be darkened and the moon will not lose its light. And we went into the Old Testament and, you know, saw, you know, judgments on nations in the past. And we got pretty far. So within futurism, like the Olivet Discourse is the Rosetta Stone of Bible prophecy. If you understand the Olivet Discourse, you understand everything in the New Testament and even the Old Testament about Bible prophecy. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so key. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of the futurists will they start it by saying, well, we admit that this is very difficult. And the reason why it's so difficult within the futurist paradigm, you know, all-millennial, post-millennial, pre-millennial, pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, I mean, on and on and on, is because they can't make up their mind, well, which verses are referring to AD 70 and which verses are referring to supposedly the end of the world or the end of time, okay? Yeah. And so they can never agree— and it's just a mishmash. And the confusion begins right away with the question of the disciples. All right? Mm-hmm. Most commentators are going to say the disciples were confused when they connected the end of the age with the destruction of the temple and the coming of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. <clears throat> okay, so here's the deal. And what they'll say is, and we know that the disciples were confused in the Gospels on issues. Would I say, great, you just proved too much because there's seven times in the Gospels where the disciples are confused about something, and either Matthew, as a narrator, will tell you they were confused, or it's clear in the context Jesus is correcting them and saying that they're confused. Mm-hmm. So it proves too much because once we get here, there's no correction. There's there's no there's nothing by Matthew saying, oh, but the disciples were confused, or Jesus saying they were confused. Yeah, Jesus didn't stop their question and right. say, actually, you got that wrong. Let's rephrase your question. Right, right, right. right. I'm going to expand and go into another topic that you didn't ask about. Right. What's key here is the end of the age. <clears throat> the Jews understood two ages. There was this age, which they understood as the old covenant age, and then the age to come was the age of Messiah, of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so, when they're connecting the destruction of the temple with the end of the age, what should we do? What age ended when the temple ended mm-hmm. or was destroyed? The right. old covenant the age. The old covenant age, right. But yet, they have to interject. We call that eisegesis. They have to interject this concept that the disciples were confused to connect the two when really it's futurists that are confused. And they're reading something into the text that's not there. Clearly, the end of the age is the old covenant age because that's the whole topic of the discussion in Matthew 23, even coming into Matthew 24. So, once you understand what the end of the age is, it helps. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're looking at Mark 13 or Luke 21, you know, the other parallels, there's only one coming of the Lord. When you get into Matthew 24 and 25, you know, Erkamai and Parousia I think there's like four or five different references to the coming of the Lord. Erkamai and parousia are two Greek words. Mm-hmm. Parousia meaning coming and erkamai meaning presence. Parousia is presence. Presence. Yes. And erkamai is what? Just another word for arrival, arrival. or coming. Okay. Um, so, you know, you have all kinds of different brands of futurists. Um, there are some partial preterists. Some partial preterists see that the coming of the Lord in Matthew 24 and 25 is referring to AD 70. Mm-hmm. But because they're creedalists, they ha- they say, well, the Olivet Discourse has nothing to do with the second coming of Jesus. 
And they, m- most of these guys are reformed. So that would be like uh, Keith Matheson, who took over for R.C. Sproul, Ligonier Ministries, right. Gary DeMar, mm-hmm. who you'll interview at here. some point. Yeah, he'll be here in two weeks. And he would say that the coming of the Lord in Matthew 24 and 25 was 8070. It was a spiritual coming to end the Old Covenant age. Well, I look at that and I say, I agree with you, but it's the second coming, clearly. Um, that's how Luther took it. That's how Calvin took it. That's how the Westminster Confession of Faith takes it. Um, and like I said, the Olivet Discourse is the foundation of New Testament prophecy. Mm-hmm. And so, what I, I look at the Olivet Discourse, and I agree with my partial preterist brethren, that the coming of the Lord here is spiritual, and it was fulfilled in AD 70 in that generation. But I also agree with just common sense that this is the second coming event. Mm-hmm. The same issue applies in the book of Revelation. We have the same problem. Partial preterists will say every reference to the coming of the Lord throughout the book of Revelation was spiritually fulfilled in AD 70. But then you have the all-millennialists and the premillennialists, and they'll say, no, the coming of Christ throughout the book of Revelation is the second coming event. I step in the middle and I say, you're both right and you're both wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the time texts clearly indicate that this is a spiritual coming of the Lord looking for looking toward AD 70, but it's the second coming. Uh, now, are I these mean, some of the topics that you tackled in your book, yes. uh, House Divided? Yes. Okay, so guys, um, you can go to fullpreterism.org? No, fullpreterism.com. Fullpreterism.com, and that's your website, right? And you can purchase that book, House Divided. So he does tackle a lot of these subjects. And I gave, I have a book for each of you actually, and already gave it to you. So um, yeah. I didn't get one. You have one. Oh, do I? It's here. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you have to promise to read it, and I don't think oh, really? you're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not for lack of interest in preterism in particular. It's just actually for lack be, of time. It, not only that, it just it might be a little bit too much of a. A stretch read. I'd rather uh, yeah. you read Glenn Hill's. Like, I don't have gap read knowledge. Glenn Hill, get, yeah. Read Glenn Hill's book first, then go to Mike. Yeah, then go to Mike's. Yes, I yeah. would agree with that. So, uh, sorry to interrupt you there. So, yeah, you jumped in the middle of that, and you're saying, yeah, you're right and you're wrong. Both of you are right and wrong. Correct, so. correct. And, and Which that's... ones are completely wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, see, they, they both have a piece. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's the problem. You know, it took 1,500 years for Luther to— sit there and say, hey, I believe in justification by faith alone. Yeah. And no one has a problem with it taking 1,500 years for the doctrine of forensic justification to take place. Yeah. But when I approach my same Reformed brethren, and I and I show how they're both right and both wrong on the coming of Christ in Matthew 24 and, and Revelation, then it's just like, oh, well, you're just a heretic. Well, why? Because I— I'm believing what you say, all millennialists, that this is the second coming. And I'm agreeing with you, partial preterists, that it was fulfilled spiritually in 8070. If you're both orthodox, which means straight and consistent and true, right? lead me out of my heresy. W- which way am I supposed to go? Why can't I believe both of you? Sure. And Can I ask a dumb question? Yeah. I'm better than anybody. Um, <laughs> you sure can. <laughs> you know, there's no dumb questions, just dumb answers. <laughs> Actually, my dad used to say, there's no such thing as a stupid question, just a stupid person asking me a question. <laughs> That's yeah. correct. Well, the, the, I believe the true way is there's no such thing as stupid questions, only stupid answers. <laughs> stand um, behind it. Okay. Reform, when you say reformed, what do you mean by that? If someone is reformed, is that? Usually it would be like um, 
a Pado-Baptist, Presbyterian Reformed, like an OPC, Orthodox Presbyterian Church, PCA. Too um, many, too many acronyms. Re- Reformed mm-hmm. Baptists. Uh, they, are they more Luther, Calvinist? Yeah, so like the doctrine. By of saying grace. Reformation or Reformed, that gets into Calvinism, which is John Calvin believing that you don't have the freedom of the will. So when you hear Reformed, think Calvinism. Calvinism. So okay, are you Reformed? I'm Reformed in that I believe all five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. Um, I'm not Reformed in that I don't believe that we're under a Sabbath. A lot of Reformed people will still, you know, we can't go out on, you know, we can't go to Chick-fil-A. Well, Chick-fil-A is close. See, you can't because (laughs) they're Reformed correctly. I'm not Reformed. I'm malformed. Malformed. (laughs) A malformed Calvinist. (laughs) And so you're a five-point versus a four-point. Yes. And a five-point being all tulip, T-U-L-I-P. Yeah, it's we could go on and on about this, and so and we will, but not tonight. So let's let's jump in. So solve all of our problems. Tell us how <laughs> solve all of Make our problems. Make me believe. <laughs> okay, so so the disciples ask about the end of the age, the coming of the Lord, and some signs. Right? Mm-hmm. They want to know when's this going to take place. Um, so Jesus gives some general signs. There's going to be wars, there's going to be famines, there's going to be earthquakes, there's going to be false prophets, there's going to be persecution. But he says, but the end is not yet. In other words, these are general signs. They're not going to mark the nearness of the end of the age in my coming. Yeah, the problem is with humanity, those are kind of, those are kind of ongoing phenomena, well, all you, of them. You turn on the TV evangelists and, yeah. and they make them signs of the near coming of Christ, right? Every time there's an earthquake or... Or, or the jab, you know, is supposed to be the plague and 666 and all this stuff. But Jesus specifically says these signs are not the signs of the end. He gives two specific signs that would mark the end of the age and his coming. One, the gospel being preached in all the world. And two, the abomination of desolation. Mm-hmm. And we know, and he says, do not, there'll be false prophets that will teach the end is near before these two signs are fulfilled. And so... As the New Testament is written, once the gospel is preached throughout the Roman Empire, all right, that's when you have, under inspiration, the apostles, the authors of the New Testament writing, he's coming soon. He's coming quickly. And I'm sure you guys covered Matthew 24, 14, right? The yes. gospel had been preached Yes, we talked about in two different places, all under all creation and all throughout the world. Yeah, that the, because they argued with me that it couldn't have been, but it was the Roman world, the, the world as they knew it, right. not the entire globe. Like we think today. Exactly. And the abomination of desolation, what will help you with that is going to Luke's parallel. Luke in Luke 21 says the abomination of desolation is when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem. Right. We covered that. Okay. And how to harmonize that with Matthew's? Because it almost sounds like Matthew is saying when you see someone in the temple, because he says holy place. Yes. In the book of Maccabees, um, the Jews understood that the land of Israel was a holy place. That's right, the holy place. So when the Romans, who were an abomination, Gentiles mm-hmm. on the land, all right, when you saw the Romans on the holy place, know that the end was near. Right. And so those are the two signs that he gives. And Maccabees is part of the Apocrypha. Correct. Yes, that you can read in your Catholic Bible if you have one. <laughs> But I just use it as a historical point, you know. Sure, no, of course. The Jews understood that at that time, so. Mm-hmm. So, you have the general signs, you have the specific signs, 
And then from there, it's just, you know, dealing with apocalyptic language, the Mm -hmm. stars falling, God coming on the clouds. In the Old Testament, when God came on the clouds, they saw him, but they they didn't see him physically on the clouds. He he came through armies, whether it was the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians. Right. That's how God came on the clouds. Now, Jesus is a prophet. He's going to use the language of his people. Right. But we interpret things hyper-literally because yeah. we're stepping outside of their culture and we need to step inside their culture. Yeah. I remember um, when we did a roundtable that Jeff McCormick said that the issue is that all of the people that were living in the time that the New Testament was being written were part of the Old Covenant. They that's That was their scripture, was the Old Covenant. They didn't have the New Testament to look at like we do. They were, they were being circulated and read you know, aloud in churches, so they didn't even have it to go back and reference. They were just hearing it for the first time or second time, and then they continued you know, to promote it amongst themselves, but they did go into synagogue and they did hear readings from the Old Testament. So, that was their book of the time. So, that language had been very familiar to them. And so, when Jesus utters it, it's just like they just hail back to, oh, it's just like it says whenever God says that he is going to come on the clouds and destroy Assyria or Egypt with the Assyrian army. He says Egypt, I believe it is, in Isaiah 19, I think. And then literally the next chapter, the armies of Assyria come in, destroy Egypt, and it was the Lord on a cloud. That's the judgment language. Yeah, I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you. And imminence in the Old Testament, when there was the day of the Lord and God said it was at hand, yes, it was always fulfilled within the lifetime of the prophet and his contemporaries. Sure. There wasn't this, oh, soon means thousands of years, okay? Yeah. And when he came on the clouds, it was through an army, and it and the decreation language was talking about the nations and the rulers of those nations. Right. So when he's talking about the stars falling, he's talking about the Pharisees. You are the rulers of this age, and I I established you, and now I'm going to bring you down. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is just using the same kind of language that is in the Old Testament. Right. And that is key. And I'd be surprised how many pastors are taught in seminary hermeneutical rules, and then they break them when they get here. Yeah, we heard we heard an argument. Well, first of all, if you are KJV only and you don't, <laughs> you can't laugh. Okay. You can't laugh here because, because that's <laughs> yeah. what we were raised on. But And I'm gotcha. not KJV only, but a lot of people that I love are, and that's right. okay, whatever, as long as they're willing to look deeper. So, he doesn't say the end of the age. In the King James Version, it says the end of the world. And so they take and and why they used world? It's not cosmos. It's, it's aeon. A, yeah. Aeon. So why did they translate it world there? Because they they think that the Oliver discourse is about the end of world history, right? And it was translated so, in the 1600s. And so they already had all of that stuff preconceived notions in their minds whenever, and they had an end result, which was that. Now, when you talk about um, you know this. For instance, preterism, the way that we think it is, a pretty new theology, a new eschatology, right? But so is dispensationalism. It's very new, too. It's only a couple hundred years old. Right. And, and what I show people is, is like I started out with, it, it's not completely new. It's, it's actually an organic view. It's, well, this side of the church is saying that the coming of the Lord here is AD 70. This side is saying that it's the second coming. Mm-hmm. Well, why can't they both be true? And that's kind of how full preterism came about. I mean, that's how I came to full preterism. I didn't even know it was a view. I was looking at the Olivet Discourse, reading partial preters, and I was like, man, this is solid. This is right on. But then I was looking at First Thessalonians 4 and 5, 
and going, Paul's just following Jesus' teaching all of a discourse. That would mean that the resurrection was fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And that's where the rub hits. Yeah, as soon as the resurrection's fulfilled. And then we talked about it this this, <laughs> this past Sunday, actually, because that's what uh, Berean Bible Church, uh, David Curtis was preaching in First Thessalonians, and he just covered that. And I sent him a question about eschatology and soteriology. And it was very cool. Cherry, I think you might like this. And if you don't, I'm sorry. There's a... <laughs> Uh, so, what I asked him was, okay, I'm I'm a full preterist, and so I believe that the resurrection has occurred, and I believe that it was a spiritual resurrection. That's what I believe. And so, because I believe that, today, if one of my loved ones who is a believer in Christ, whether they believe in this eschatology or not, when they die— they actually go before in the presence of the Lord. They no longer go to Sheol, which is where the Old Testament saints went. The only way, and because Cherry and I used to talk about soul sleep all the time, and our church doesn't believe in soul sleep that we, where we, we go together. And I said, it has to be. If the resurrection hasn't occurred, then there is soul sleep. They're in Sheol. They're waiting. Now, whether it's sleep or, as you and I talked about today, they're consciously tormented with fire, like in Luke 16, but whatever— they weren't in heaven. But today, people who don't believe that the resurrection has occurred believe that their loved ones are going to heaven, which is a wrong Oh, yeah. Theology. Their theology never matches it doesn't match. the funeral. <laughs> it, do- it does not. And not only that, no one ever says, I mean, they're all going in a, in a better place. Yes. It's like, no one's, oh, this guy's totally toasting right now. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Everyone's theology just goes out the window. Smoking or not. <laughs> that was bad. That was bad. But you remember those talks we had, Cherry? Yes. So many times, because you read it, and you're like, I don't get it. Like, And I'm like, yeah. She, she was like, do you believe in soul sleep? And I was like, yeah, I have to. But I didn't have, I wasn't a preterist at the time. I was like, of course I believe in soul sleep. Well, then how are they going to heaven? They're not yet until the resurrection happens. So you're telling me my loved one's still in the ground and that their, their soul is in Sheol? And I was like, Yeah. Because then they say, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yeah. So, which one is it? Yeah. How, how does that work? I don't know. How does that work, Mike? <laughs> well, <laughs> Fix it. There's, there's a couple a couple ways of looking at that. I have a way he of could looking be at talk, it, too. He could be talking about the coming of Christ was so near that when someone died, the next thing that they would realize is that they would be right with the Lord. Or— and this is kind of a, a different concept for you guys when we start talking about the corporate body. That's corporate body. Yeah, um, here you go. You know, Paul, especially in Philippians 3, when he talks about this vile body and he's connecting it to the old covenant and he's connecting it to crap, because that's what he says yeah, in the dumb. Greek, I, I consider this as crap. My, yeah. my life in this old covenant world, it's a vile body. Yeah. And he wanted to be delivered from that body. Mm-hmm. Not not this. All right. So, to be absent from the old covenant body is to be present with the Lord. Yeah. So, when he talks, you know, you see this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth in Revelation. That's not the Borg. Mm-hmm. That's not like, oh, you know, he's like <laughs> the big cube. That's the, the new Jerusalem is a perfect cube because the most holy place was a perfect cube. It's theology. It, this is symbolism. He's saying, my new covenant people, you are the most holy place. You are where I dwell now. Yeah. I don't dwell in a in the land or in a physical temple. I mm-hmm. dwell in my people. Would you like me to bake your noodle a little bit? Yeah, man. You ready for some? Here's your absent from the body present with the Lord. It's really simple. It's so simple. 
And it's not a joke. It's actually simple. So, whenever the Babylonian exile happened, right? And the Israelites were pulled out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, and taken to Babylon. Would you say that at that point, Israel was out of God's presence? They died. Yes. God struck them. They're covenantally dead, spiritually covenantly dead. No, the temple was destroyed. Mm -hmm. Everything happened, right? Okay. Any time in the Old Testament that they are on the land, they are out of his presence. Yes. Am I right? Yeah, they're dead. Okay. When Jesus, when you become a believer in Jesus, does he ever leave you or forsake you? Then how can you be out of his presence ever? You can't. You, so when you die, because especially he's, now, exactly. But <laughs> when you die, he's telling these people when they're reading it. Listen, even though we see these people who are absent from the body, they are very ever present with the Lord. He never. They're never out of his sight. So we don't. He, they're not lost. They're still going to go because that was a concern. That's what was bothering the Thessalonians. Like, what about? But what about those that have died? Did they miss? The, they missed it. They missed it. And he's like, no. That's not how it works. So, him describing the dead in Christ shall rise first is no different than being absent from the body is in this presence. It's present with the Lord. Is that wrong? <laughs> Bust my chops. I, I, Let's I'd hear have, it, Mike. I'd have to think about You're that a little bit more. You're going to study it hard, pal. <laughs> Let's get on Facebook and argue with people. I like my explanation better. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whether it's CBV or CBD or THC, <laughs> THC, whichever one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, all right. So, the question, and I don't know if you're prepared for this tonight or not, but let's say in the Olivet Discourse, when he talks about wars and rumors of wars, do oh, you know how to locate Ukraine that? Ukraine and, and <laughs> Oh, and, here we go. Come on, it's, I mean, Armageddon's right. That's right? <laughs> yeah. So, if you were going to expand it and let's say, okay, what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse is kind of like the tiny primer to a larger revelation maybe, or all of Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy, then what? where does that show up in Revelation? Let's say earthquakes in diverse places. Does uh, it sh you know, and I didn't know if you were going to look at it that way. Like if I said, what are the four horsemen of the apocalypse? How well, is that okay. in there? Yeah. Okay. So the four, four horsemen, what? Revelation 4, I think. Um, so what do you have? You have, de you have uh, plagues, pestilence, um, War and de death, right? Yeah. So all of those are the very beginning of the birth. One of the Antichrist. No, I think, think debt should be no, on that no, list. Why the, the, not? One, the one on the white horse is Christ. That's yeah. later on. Yeah, that's later on. Some people think that's the Antichrist. No. Um, but so there's your. Those are your general signs, right, right there. I mean, they were looking for toward that. Sure. So, yeah. The and everyone will say. John's version of the Olivet Discourse, because you only have the Olivet Discourse, right? In Matthew, and the synoptics. Right. Right. So, John's version of the Olivet Discourse is the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. And we have all this continuity that proves it. Uh, you know, Jesus says that it would be fulfilled in his generation. And you guys covered all that, right? All yeah. the different ways people try and get out of that. Yes. No, actually, we didn't get into the ways. We've okay. been taught how to get out of that. And I don't even think any of us really know how to track that in our minds. Like, do we? Like, how we? How do we get out of what the Bible says? We haven't studied enough biblical prophecy. Okay, so some people will say this generation is referring to the Jewish race. Yeah, the Jewish race will continue until Christ comes. Oh, so they so they're playing on the word generation, which is not race, though. If Jesus wanted to use race, he would have used a Greek word genos. Right, but he uses genea. 
Oh, and it's just, yeah, and it's, it's there's a few. really, I mean, Jesus is real. And on top of that, he says, this generation. Notice he doesn't say that generation. Right. It's a generation like 2,000 plus removed from him. He uses that phrase, this generation, five times in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. If you look him up, you'll clearly see he's talking to his generation. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean anything other than his contemporary generation. Everywhere else it's used. So that's really lame to say, oh, it's referring to the Jewish race is going to continue until he comes. Yeah. No justification at all. Another way, I was raised like Chuck Smith, Hal Lindsey, that we are the generation mm-hmm. because we're seeing these signs fulfilled. You're part of the Laodicean age? Yeah, that too, that too. That's the CI school right? stuff. Yeah, right. But, you know, you know, Israel became a nation in 1948. Yep. A generation is 40 years, so that'd be 1988. 88, 88 but, but you have to minus seven years because of a tree, pre-trib rapture. Yeah. Jesus come in 1981. I mean, my pastor was... Pastor Chuck Smith was preaching that. How you know he fell for Hal Lindsey's garbage hook line, hook line and sinker. Yeah, what was that called? The late great planet at Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get it for a quarter at a garage sale now. Can you? Probably a, a giant steaming pile of late great planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so this generation is clear, and then he doesn't just. He says this generation will not pass away until all of these things are fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Notice he doesn't say some of these things will be fulfilled. Right. And that's where futures have a problem. In Matthew 24, 1 through 34, he doesn't he doesn't mix he doesn't say some of these are going to be fulfilled in 8070, but Christ coming on the clouds, oh that's not. Right. He says all of these things, all of the things you just asked about will be fulfilled in this generation. Mm-hmm. Language is clear. I mean Yeah. So in so when the sun is darkened and the moon will lose its light where does that show up in Revelation? Uh, well, that would probably be the decreation language, which would probably be in Revelation 6 when it talks about the islands fleeing, or in Revelation 20 when when the earth and the sky flee from God's presence. Um, there's a bunch of the new heavens and new earth, the first new heaven, new earth, the first heavens and earth pass away. Behold, there's an, another one, a new, um, which is connected with the new Jerusalem coming down and the marriage theme. And that's another thing in the Olivet Discourse. It was the time of the marriage, right? And the book of Revelation chapters 19 through 21, you have God divorcing one wife and she's described as a harlot, and she rides the beast, right? Um, I have a joke. I'm not going to say yeah, it. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, probably better that way. <laughs> but, but the beast is Rome, right? Yes. And, and this, this harlot is Old Covenant Jerusalem that has rejected Messiah, her groom. Mm-hmm. And so, in the Old Testament, an unfaithful wife of a priest would either die by being stoned or they would burn her. Okay, obviously Christ is a priest, and we see in the book of Revelation that Jerusalem is stoned by these 100-pound stones, Mm -hmm. and that Jerusalem is burned. So, we have the divorce of the old covenant bride, and we have the marriage of the church taking place, and that, that would be soon, that would be quickly, and that corresponds with Jesus' teaching in the Olivet Discourse, at his soon, or this generation coming, would be the wedding. Yeah, and Bob Cruikshank 
I remember he also explained, he said that these uh, quickly or shortly come to pass bookend the entire book of Revelation. You've got, it says it at the beginning in chapter one, and it also says it at the end in chapter 22. So everything inside that is happening inside that quickly, including the thousand year reign, which you weren't there to hear, Cherry, and I really wish you had been. It's because it's rock solid, but... What, if you don't mind, since don't we're we, in Revelation, do you mind to go Why don't we deal with that? Because yeah. we, we dealt with, how do people get out of this generation? Yes. Right? And those were really lame. <laughs> yeah. Excuse. So, how do people deal with, he's coming soon, quickly, at hand. Uh, Hebrew says he who's coming will come in a very, very little while and will not delay. Yeah. Um, and in Revelation chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, it says there will be no more delay. I mean, I just don't know how you, it, it, language is pretty clear. So, here are some ways. Uh, like Simon Kistemacher says that soon, quickly at hand, he says, these are symbolic. These are ideal eschatological time that God is dealing with. In other words, God is so wholly other that when he uses these statements, you can elastitize them. Yeah. They don't really, the problem with that is that God is communicating to man, yeah. In language that man can understand. Number yeah, we one. We all know that God was eternal. But God's not talking, talking to, to himself. He's talking to man. <laughs> right. Right. And in the Old Testament, like I said, when God was going to come soon quickly at hand, it was within the lifetime of the prophet and his contemporaries. The longest one was 40 years. I thought is it was about. 70. Mm, I, no, me and Bob have been checking it out. Have but you, if so you it's find, 40? Yeah. I thought it was 70 years. It's anywhere, betw- it's anywhere between 1 to 40. Unless yes. he told, like Daniel, it would be 490 years. Well, he then says, he explains how long it is. See, that's the thing. In the Old Testament, like he tells Daniel, he says, seal up the vision for the time of fulfillment is far off. Far off. You're going to die, Daniel. And then what does he tell John in Revelation 22.10? He says, do not seal up the vision of the prophecy. But the time is near. Time is near. Yeah. God knows how to say Far off means far off. You're going to die. You're not going to live to witness this. It's going to be 500 years away. For John, I've already told you, John, that some of you standing here will not die, right? Mm -hmm. The time of Daniel's prophecy is now at hand. Do not, I mean, so that's one way is to just kind of symbolize the time statements to mean like, really nothing. Which is what they also said. You know, that's one thing that we, we need to make clear here is that let's let, like, when I say, I believe in that the resurrection was a spiritual resurrection, then they say, oh, well, you're just symbolizing it and, and spiritualizing it. No. But I'm saying that the time is literal. What they're saying is that Time is symbolic, and all of the symbolic things are literal. It's they've reversed. Got it. They've got everything backwards. Yes, it's backwards. Everything backwards, absolutely. And all I can say this on the on the resurrection, I'm constantly told this by futurists. You know, all the Jews believed in a physical resurrection at the end of the age. Totally not true. Right. You know, if we didn't have the Dead Sea Scrolls, we didn't have all the second temple literature, you might be able to get away with that. Yeah. But now we know they had spiritual views of the resurrection. Some of them believed that they would receive a spiritual body when they died. In other words, there was a resurrection of the soul or spirit from the body. Mm-hmm. That was a resurrection. Others believed, no, once you died, your spirit or soul went to Hades or Abraham's bosom or even soul sleep. But 
at the end of the age, the soul or spirit would be raised out of Hades into God's presence or the lake of fire. Nothing to do with the physical body. Right. All right. So, my my contention is that Jesus and the New Testament writers are holding to that Jewish view of the resurrection. Um, but, but let me just cover a couple more of these yeah, real quickly. So some will say uh, shortly or quickly in the book of Revelation just means when Jesus decides to come, man, it's going to be really fast. That would be like me saying... Um, like a thief in the night. Like, uh, like uh, one of you guys is having a heart attack. So we call the ambulance. Oh, come, come, come. And they say, we're, we're coming quickly. We'll be right there. We're coming quickly. Soon. At hand. Three hours go by. Tomorrow, you're dead. They, they come tomorrow morning. We're here. He's dead. What are you doing? You said you were coming quickly at hand. Oh, what I mean by that is whenever we decided to come, man, we were going to go fast. <laughs> we, we got here like three minutes. Yeah. That's parsing words pretty hard, isn't it? Yeah. There's no linguistic justification right. for that on these words when you look up uh, lexicons. So these guys are just kind of really desperate making up things when it comes to time, the time text. Um, another one is that soon at hand quickly just means that he certainly going to come. Really? Okay. So in Revelation 22, verse 20, Jesus says, it says, surely I am coming quickly. Now the first Greek word, nigh, means surely or certainly. I am coming quickly. Quickly is taku. Okay. Two totally different Greek words. Jesus is not saying, surely I'm coming, surely. Or certainly, I'm coming, certainly. You see what I'm saying? Yes. It would be completely redundant to have Jesus say, surely, I'm coming, surely. It, no, he's, it means that he's certainly going to come quickly. <laughs> you know. And this was read aloud Absolutely. to churches that were in severe persecution, and they needed to hear it. We have to keep that herm- hermeneutic approach. This letter was written to actual people in the time that they lived, and it had to mean something to them. Otherwise, he is a false prophet. Paul is a false prophet. Everything that Peter said is wrong. Peter said that they were in the last days in Acts chapter 2. You know, the the writer of Hebrews says, in these last days was spoken to us by our son. Like all of the New Testament writers are, it's so imminent, and they were all suffering. We don't understand the suffering that these people went through. We really don't. We don't have a clue. If somebody takes a candy bar away from me, you're persecuting me. That's not what they were going through. And so it, it has to be relevant to the people in those seven churches that were in Asia Minor at the time. Re- otherwise, Revelation was written, written for no reason whatsoever. It was like, hey, here's a funny fable. Listen to this. It's only going to be good for people 2,000 years from now. And it's just, to me, that's, that's really joke. what got me. That's really what got me. I was like, this means nothing to the people that <laughs> this was written to. Yeah. It's kind of like a carrot and stick approach. Mm-hmm. You know, he's coming soon again, again. He, he, he wants everyone to think he's coming soon. That's just not how that language is used in the Old Testament. And there's just really no good linguistic, lexiconic, uh, you know, definitions that way. It's just, sure. you're just grasping at straws. Now, the other parallel would be in Luke 21, when he talks about the times of the Gentiles and then taking them into slavery, right? 
and he talks about Jerusalem being trodden underfoot by the Gentiles, mm-hmm. and that this would be the times of the Gentiles. That's taken from Daniel. A good parallel would be Revelation chapter 11, when he talks about Jerusalem was going to be, if you want, do you, do you still have your, yeah. read um, Revelation 11 verses 1 and 2. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, 42 months is three and a half years. Correct. Okay. The war lasted three and a half uh-huh. years. All right. So, the times of the Gentiles in which Jerusalem would be trodden under the feet of the Gentiles is the same event here, except he's using more colorful language. And it's three and a half years. It's between AD 67 to AD 70 when Rome was trotting down Jerusalem. You know, that's just, that's just another parallel. Sure. And then look at verse 8. It identifies who's this city. So it says, um, well, I'll start with 7. And when they finish their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt where their Lord was crucified. Okay, so Christ was... He was crucified in Jerusalem, not Sodom and Egypt. The great city... He was crucified in Jerusalem. The great city in the book of Revelation is not the Roman Catholic Church. Nope. It's not Mecca. Right. It's not Iran. It's not Iraq. All these prophecy experts are always screwing this up really bad. Okay. It's clear. It's where the Lord was crucified. Now, Jerusalem is likened to Sodom, Gomorrah, Babylon, because these were Egypt, because these were God's people's enemies in the Old Testament. And what he's saying is, because you've rejected the Messiah, mm-hmm. you've become as wicked as your enemies, right. Babylon, Egypt, Sodom. So he's, you know, he's saying this great city is apostate. That's sure. just his way of saying it. And so, but if you go down from, you don't have to read it, but from verse 15 to, I think, verse 18, it says, this is the time of the judgment of the dead. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, that goes back to Matthew 23, when he's talking about the vindication of the martyrs. He said that those Pharisees would fill up the measure of their father's guilt. From righteous say, well, all the way all to the way to, from, Okay, it would be required Zechariah? upon them. Yes. So, Son of Berechiah. So, this is the judgment of the living and the dead. It's the rewarding and the vindication of the martyrs who were dead, and it would be a judgment upon the living who were the Pharisees. Now, in 1 Peter 4, verses 5 through 7, it says that the end of all things is at hand, and he's talking about the judgment of the living and the dead. Mm -hmm. And so, in Revelation 11, he connects the destruction of Jerusalem with the time of the Judgment of the living and the dead. Daniel chapter 12 connects the judgment of the city with the resurrection. And so, these two, these two events go hand in hand. Right. So, you know, something that I thought of when I was just reading that, those, those verses that you told me to read, he says, I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. A measuring is a way of protection. Yeah. When, when, when a prophet, 
was told to, and they had a vision to measure something, I think in Ezekiel, uh-huh. this is words. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand the Old Testament, the time text. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but in this case, you have to understand Ezekiel. And so, to measure something is God's way of protecting it. Mm-hmm. Or assigning judgment to it. One of those. And and the context determines that. Here, it's protection. Because the most holy place is the new covenant people of God. Mm -hmm. That that word for temple means the most holy place. So, it's not talking about the actual temple that's there. No. Because it's a vision. Right. So, the symbol is protection of the new covenant people of God, which is the most holy place. Everything else is going to be trodden down. By the Gentiles, which is referring to, you know, Jerusalem and the physical temple will be destroyed. Right. Wow. Well, you guys got any questions for Mike? Yes. So, were you going to explain the thousand-year reign? Oh, sure. Okay. It'll take so, them about like nine hundred years, though. <laughs> you can. So tell it to us soon. Yeah, in real time. Describe it to us in real time. <laughs> <laughs> tell it to us soon. We'll talk to you in two thousand years. Quickly. If I've told you, if I've told Surely. you once, I've told you a thousand times. times. So I must mean that literally. Uh-oh, hyperbolic. Okay. Yeah. So in uh, Psalm fifty, it says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Does that mean that God doesn't own the cattle on Hill one thousand one? Now it's just a way of saying it's it's a number that communicates fullness and completeness. Just means God's reign is complete and full. And so the book of Revelation is an is an apocalyptic it's book. It's a it's a vision. So and a lot of the numbers in the book of Revelation are not literal, like the hundred and forty four thousand. I guess unless you're a Jehovah's Witness or something. Yeah. And, well, they filled that oh, up a long time ago. Okay. Back when they were doing the other false prophecies. Gotcha, gotcha. So that's kind of how I'd respond. It, a thousand used elsewhere in Scripture is is more. The fullness, just like, you know, seven means complete. Um, Ten is another number for completion. Mm-hmm. So, And it's easy to, you know, just to explain it that way is easy. But, you know, when you start mixing Ezekiel, Revelation, Daniel, you start getting into these things and you listen to the futurists. And we talked about this in the roundtable a little bit, but I want to say this in front of Cherry. So they're, they're, they believe that a literal temple is going to be built. The futurists believe this. Um, <clears throat> they believe that Christ will descend and that he will sit on the throne in a literal, on a literal throne in a literal city of Jerusalem, in a literal temple. And simultaneously, they will be sacrificing animals in this temple. And the only way that I could ever make that work in my head is if I if I were to get out of the literal and get into the symbols that come from the Old Testament. If you literalize it, you defeat your own belief because no more animal sacrifices will ever be allowed. God does not have two different ways to heaven. The Jews don't have their own special way. Sorry, John Hagee, that is not biblical. The Jews only have one way. The scriptures very clearly say, if you do not have the Son, then you have not the Father. If they don't, if they don't accept the Christ, then they will never receive eternal life. That is what the Bible teaches. So, if they are sacrificing bulls and goats and rams while Jesus is on the throne, 
it's a stench in the nose of Yahweh and God. That is a stench. Those are no longer acceptable, only the sacrifice of Christ. So, if you're going to follow it literally, your own theology cannot handle it. Your own soteriology actually doesn't work. The only way that you can is to do like what Hagee did and to split the Jew and the Gentile apart and say the Jews will continue to have the law and have their own way to God and they don't need Christ, which is a lie. That is not scriptural. Sorry. And then you have the true Israel, which is where there are neither Jew nor Greek nor bond nor free nor slave, you know, like nor male nor female. Like that's to me, like the theology l- cannot work with futurism. Why was Jesus and in the book of Acts, the apostles preaching to Jews that Christ was the only way to be saved? There's no other name given among men but he was by which preaching they can be to saved. Jews. Yeah, yeah, he was preaching to Jews. Yeah, so Peter if they was have a their Jew, own program. John was a Jew. They all were Jews. <laughs> right. And they had to receive Christ. Yeah. You can't split them. And that brings up a whole nother sticky wicket. And that is Jews today. <laughs> well, now, they don't. They obviously don't believe that Christ was the Messiah. This isn't a moral quandary for them. No, it's not, not a moral quandary for them. So for Jews, fine. yeah, no, no, no. Jews yeah. just believe what they believe. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually not well, even their old covenant. Let me they add, created a whole new. Thing. Let me throw out something here. Yeah. How do you define a Jew? I like, am a Jew. There's there's two definitions for a Jew. Yes. One is well, I'm, a, I'm a racial. I'm oh, yeah. ethically yeah, ethnic, a Jew. Ethnically Jewish or religiously the second, Jewish. Yeah. The second is I'm a Jew, but I'm I'm black or I'm Asian. In other words, I'm a Jew because I believe in the religion of Judaism. Right. I don't accept that there is a Jew today because, number one, when Christ came through the Roman armies, when they burned the temple, where were all the genealogies? In the temple. So you ask a Jew today, someone saying they're a Jew— Ask them, what tribe are you from? Yeah. I don't care. I mean— it, I think the Cohens are the only ones that know where they were from, and they're from the tribe of Levi, which is all garbage. I can't prove it. It's garbage. And, and Christ did that on purpose, you know? They, because, by the way, these people are not garbage. I don't mean the people. I mean the thought behind yeah, what they're the, doing. the thought right. process that gets yeah, them to the that intent, point. Yeah. The intent of what they're saying is what is garbage, not Christ the people. Christ has the people broken down the wall of separation. Right. You know, there's neither male nor female. Right. All right, there's neither Greek or Jew, bond slave. We're all in Christ or we're outside of Christ. Yes. There's no, I'm a Messianic Jew. Right. You're not a special Jewish Christian as opposed to I'm just a just a Gentile Christian. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's I'm just, just a Gentile God Christian. said, Jesus said, I'm going to take the kingdom from you and I'm going to give it to a nation bearing the fruits thereof. Right. Matthew 21, verses 43 through 45. Mm-hmm. And the Pharisees said, he's speaking to us, yes. right? Verse 45. So the kingdom was taken from Israel in AD 70 and given to a nation bearing the fruits thereof. Yeah, taken it from the nation of Israel. And given it to the church, which Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9, we, the church, are an elect holy nation. Right. We are a priesthood. Right? Mm-hmm. We offer up sacrifices yep. of praise, not animal sacrifices. Right. So everything that was physical under the old covenant, you can come to the New Testament and they say is spiritual. Sure. Abraham looked for a better country, a spiritual, heavenly country, yes. not a physical land. The Sabbath is fulfilled spiritually. Mm-hmm. The circumcision is fulfilled spiritually. Hey, we went through the Sabbath and talked about its fulfillment. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's cool. So, everything so where does this thing, this thing end? What thing? 
life, this world, when, is it, is when it ever die. going to end? Like the world is never going to end. The sin is just going to, he's going to allow sin to just keep going. In Isaiah 65 and 66 and Revelation 21 and 22, in the new creation, the gospel continues. So, once the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to earth, it says that the gates of the city are open. And he says, and the spirit and the bride say, come, drink of the living water. In other words, there's access to the tree of life now and the living water. So, there's evangelism taking place in the new creation. The Bible doesn't say anything about the end of world history. It talks about the time of the end. And when you look at that in context, the time of the end of what? end of the old covenant age, not the end of world history. So, because the Bible doesn't talk about the end of world history, I don't try and go beyond what is written. And so, you know, for me, to me, it seems like it's just ongoing fulfillment. So, this but, world just keeps on spinning. Well, think about what Daniel said. Whenever- there's a lot of, there's a lot of Psalms and even in Ecclesiastes, it talks about the world abides forever. Yeah. When now, you see... When it's it's easy for us, Sarita, because I know exactly where your headspace is because I was there first. I was there too when I first got to this. I was like, new heaven and new earth. You've got to be joking. I've got my mindset on what heaven- I mean, this is heaven. the best we've got? No. No, it's not. It's, it's the, it, it is and it isn't, okay? You have this fleshly body that you're in, but you know you have a spirit on the inside and you've known people that have passed away and their body goes in the ground- but where is where are they at? Where is the the person that you loved? Where are they? Depends on the person. <laughs> Let's say the person is a believer. So their body you you physically put their body in the ground. Where do you believe that they go? I believe their their spirit goes with the Lord. Okay. Now, when they go with the Lord, what happens to them when they're with the Lord? They're glorified. They glorified praise what? Jesus for eternity. What like happens their to their body? New bodies. Bing! You've been wanting one of those, weren't you? Do you think it's a corporate body? <laughs> but, the, but does not the body, and I may be misquoting scripture, and I don't intend to do that. I never want to do that because that's just not who I am. In the new heaven and the new earth, there are no tears. There's no sadness, no pain. Well, right now, and Rick knows my story, my heart is full of pain. So you're telling me, I'm in a new heaven and in a new earth where there's no tears, no pain. I've cried more in the past month than I probably cried my whole life. So how do you justify that part of it? So there's a couple passages. Um, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about the creation groaning, mm-hmm. wanting to be liberated. That Greek word for creation is katissus. And it's the same Greek word when you were going over the gospel being preached in all the world that Paul says in Colossians 1. He says the gospel has been preached to every creature, katissus. So Paul's not going around preaching to rocks and trees and squirrels. He's preaching to the creation of men. So he's saying that the creation of men, you're groaning under the futility and the decay of sin. Because mm-hmm. look at Romans chapter 7 comes before Romans chapter 8, and we see that groaning, Right longing to be liberated. And so, it's it's not groaning for, gee, I wish I, I had more hair or, or I got diagnosed with cancer or that's not the kind of groaning and the tears that John is talking about or Paul in Romans chapter 8. Um, let me give you an example on no more death. 
Jesus says in John chapter 8 and John chapter 11, he who believes on me will never die. Right. Okay. What He's does he mean? Martha that. What, is he, what does he mean? They will never die. Physically? No, they'll die physically, but they'll never die spiritually. Okay. Same author. Right. John wrote, Gospel of John, whoever you think that, Lazarus that is, okay, wrote the book of Revelation. <laughs> he says when Christ comes in, in the new covenant age, there will be no more death. And he says that there will be no more death in the new Jerusalem. That death is the death that came through Adam. The day Adam sinned, he said, God said, you will surely die. Death means separation because he kicked him out of his presence. That presence had to be restored and it wouldn't be restored until Messiah came and he accomplished his work on the cross and his parousia. Mm -hmm. Now we have access to his presence. Under the old covenant, when they were kicked out of the land, they cried. They were covenantally dead. There were tears. There was inward pain because they couldn't sacrifice, and they were away from God's presence. But under the new covenant, we're in God's presence. We don't cry those kinds of tears. Mm-hmm. I don't cry saying, God, I'm, I can't wait for you to come and solve my sin problem. You see what I'm saying? There's specific kinds of tears. There's, it's a specific kind of groaning in those contexts. It's not talking about, I'm gaining weight, I'm losing my hair, you know, that kind of stuff. Or, or even, you know, cancer and, or, or divorces or just the things that we go through in life. That's, and in Revelation 14, it says, blessed are those who die from here on. In other words, because you're going to be in God's presence. What does that sound? I don't know. Maybe it's a uh, thunder. Deep breathing. Was it? No, no. I was nowhere close. Were you flexing over there? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! I was sleeping, was sleeping with my eyes open. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, those are good questions. I think a lot of people are going to want to hear that asked. I think that's. I think and then how? Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to continue. I was going to answer a little bit more on what you said because that's the way that I thought too. I was like, "Come on, man! I've got tears, and my vision of heaven." Like when we when we take the word no more tears, it's really easy for us with our American minds in English to think of the Saint Ozzy Osbourne. That's right, no more tears. You know that song. <laughs> I don't like Ozzy Osbourne. Sorry, that's what? an amazing song. Not she doesn't Ozzy. like Ozzy Osbourne. Not, 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 not no, it's got to be some like Satanist thing. Zach, no, ooh, I just didn't like it. My my dad was a country music person, so that's what I grew up listening oh, to. That so dude no, ate a bat, man. He ate a bat. <laughs> he did eat. No, it was a pigeon, by the way. No, he he, he, he didn't no. eat it. He just bit the head off. He, he spit it out. He spit it out. a pigeon. The bat thing's a legend. It's a pigeon. Yeah, yeah. It just evolved into a bat. Yeah, they answer the question. I mean, it wasn't at a it was gig. A bald it was at a, uh, it was at a like record. A it was at a, uh, a a meeting with like record executives. Right. I wonder if he was crying because he was losing hair. Uh, probably. <laughs> I'm sorry to go to Ozzy. <laughs> no, but anyway, with the no more tears, like it's easy for us to take like that one thing, and we're like, oh, there'll be no more tears, and our minds go like on this journey of all the things that create pain and what causes us to actually have tears, and it means that. Everything's going to be negated by that. And we've wrenched, we've wrenched it completely out of the entire context of where we are in, this, in his letter and what he's trying to describe. No more tears, no more pain. What is the tears and the pain from? Sin. Exactly. Okay. So, in the new heaven and new earth, 
is sin there? No, God doesn't. Yes, it is. God doesn't look at me. He doesn't look at his children. Right. All right. Because he talks about the new, new Jerusalem coming down. He says that he is in there. Right, and he says we see his face. Okay, I don't. I don't want to go down that pathway. Okay. Hold on. Let me. Let me take you back here. Sin is sin able to be done in the next age, in the messianic age? Yeah, there's sinning, but he takes away sin in that. Okay, he takes away but are Adam's there people sin. outside of the new heaven and new earth? Yes, in darkness. Outside. Yes, there's liars. There's are sorcerers. those people in the darkness alive right now? No, they're in sin. That's why the gates of the city are open. Are they alive say, right Come. now outside of the new heaven and new earth? Are they biologically alive? Yeah, they, of course. Thank you. They're biologically <laughs> alive right yes. now. The new heaven and new earth. I keep showing a square. Have I lost you? <laughs> Where is this? I have not seen the New Jerusalem that has uh, Jasper Stone and twelve gates and Hold angels on. at the gates and names seen. of the. I have you not just seen. Said seen. I don't. I can't see inside my body. No, no, no. You're using. You're taking. Where is this New Jerusalem? The, you're I, taking I, I a symbolic it. book, and you're saying seen it. So you're it, saying it's the you, darkness hell. Hmm? When when they're referring like. Because, you know, the question then, of course, is then what happened to hell, right? Well, so, it's if, it's, of, if, it's in the, if it's in the new new Jerusalem and the new heaven, but they're biologically alive because they're lost without God, so they, they don't they have, have no separation, or they have separation from Him, so they're in the darkness. So, is, is that the reference to hell? Like, Well, I mean, you can see hell and heaven cast is into the lake of, of fire. Like transcendental. So if you if you're without God, mm-hmm. then you have to go somewhere, right? Even in the gospel, it says, "If you do not believe in me, the wrath of God ab- abides upon you." Still, mm-hmm. so I think that's a good description of people who are alive, though that the wrath of God is still on them. They're in the kingdom of darkness, and they're spiritually dead, and they need the gospel, and that's why we preach. You know, come. You know. So what would happen? Obviously, to people who. Die, non-believers. I believe they go in the lake of fire because Daniel chapter 12 talks about the resurrection at the end of the age. And it says some some are raised unto eternal life and to some unto eternal punishment or condemnation. So when we die, now we don't go to a waiting place. We go to one Either of those. Either or, exactly. now. As far as the New Jerusalem and stuff like that, I don't see it. Um, in Luke 17, verses 20 through 37, the Pharisees ask... When is the kingdom coming to Jesus? Because Jesus is always teaching the kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist said the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, you will not be able to say or see, see here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. And then he goes on and he talks about him coming when he's revealed from heaven. All right, so at his coming, you're not going to be able to say the kingdom is here, the kingdom is there. You can't see it. Jesus specifically says you're not going to be able to be see observed. this with your he exactly. It cannot be observed. Exactly. But under the old covenant, you could see all those things. You could say, "There's Jerusalem. There's Mount Zion. There's the animal sacrifices. There's the temple." Under the new covenant, you can't physically see these things. God's people are those things. The so they're more Rev- beautiful than the old. Exactly. In and the they're book internal. of Revelation, chapter twenty-one. John is carried away, and he sees in a vision. A, he sees. <laughs> he uses the word. I saw 
a the great city, a holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven, having the, the glory of God. Okay. And it has all these measurements that I'm not going to read. And then it has a wall of jasper, and the city was pure gold. So Glenn. that you're saying that's inside of me? Yeah, Galatians chapter 4. He says there's, there's a lot in there, and okay. I'm not that big. Hey, right. go so to if we let. If we, let scripture, if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we understand what this new Jerusalem is. In Galatians chapter 4, he says this is an allegory, and he says it's two covenants. There's Jerusalem from below that is present, and there's a Jerusalem from above. And he says the Jerusalem from above is the new covenant. The Jerusalem below is the physical old covenant system that we can see. Now, in the book of Revelation, it says that the new Jerusalem is coming from heaven down to earth, right. which is just a way of saying the new covenant is being consummated. The old covenant is passing away. The new covenant is coming, it's like, and it's almost here. And it's it, like the rock that destroys the statue. Exactly. It's and the then kingdom. it grows into a mountain. Spiritual kingdom. It's, it's not like right. the other kingdoms. Revelation 13. Did you find it? I mean, it's right there. Yeah. Can you pull it up? I'm sorry. I just wanted you to read... I wanted you. I just wanted you to read the first, the first, the first verse. Okay. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast Stop rising. Stop right there. Say, say the first six words. Then I stood on the sand. And now do and saw. now do the two more of the sea. Two more. And I saw. Okay. okay now so. read. Now read to that point again. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw... What's the difference about him saying, I saw there, and I saw later? Remember, he was taken, he was whisked away, and he said, and then he saw heaven, right? New Jerusalem, not heaven. He so, what's the, the difference in if, okay, if John is saying, I saw a beast coming out of the sea, is he actually seeing a beast, or does it mean something else? Dispensationalists believe that it means something else. Even futurists agree that this book is symbolic and that all of the things that John is seeing with his eye isn't actually a literal thing. It's a symbolic thing. Just like at the very beginning of Revelation when he says, and I saw seven golden candlesticks, right? They weren't literal candlesticks. He saw the vision because the angel explains to him what he's, the vision was. He's having a vision, and in the vision, he's given symbols. And if you understand the Old Testament, you can kind of connect these symbols. And he's teaching. It's the unveiling. It's the revelation. It's the unveiling of who Christ is and who the church is. In Revelation 10, he says, I saw a mighty angel. That's a symbol, or was did he really see an angel? So— we, how do we know? I don't know. You so, if me. he saw an angel, an angel, angelos, or messenger, uh -huh. he's seeing an angel that's telling him what the vision means. So, for our brains, when we go to the Old Testament, I don't know why he's calling me. When we go to the Old Testament, whenever you, whenever you hear Old Testament prophecy, these prophets are speaking in these visions in these very similar ways. And don't take me wrong. Like I'm not attacking you, Sarita. Like, well, he's I, he said it a couple of times that it's heretical. What is the way that I believe or the the futurist uh, I, that I it's not right? That it's not right. Okay, yeah, I didn't. I didn't that it's not I'm right. right. That no, I'm wrong. We don't call anybody heretics. That I'm wrong for believing. Who said that? He did. Well, I mean, you believe you I'm you wrong. wrong. No, people who believe like I do. <laughs> I think I might be the only person in the room that does. 
No. So wait a minute. Hold on. Let me help you out a little bit. Yeah, they're just not as loud about okay, it. Okay, so when I when I when but the questions I'll need be to be very, asked though, those I'll are be good, more quiet. Those are good questions when to I ask. First, no, when I questions. first was presented with this idea, I had absolutely no idea that there were all kinds of different views. I had I didn't know that. I thought that there were different religions views that way, mm-hmm. but I had no idea that even with inside Christianity, there was such different views whether Christ had already came. You know, whether we would be here before the uh, um, rapture or after the rapture, like you hear all kinds of different things. Yeah, I knew that one. So I didn't. So when I first heard this, I was like, what? This is crazy. And then I thought, well, you just deflated my bubble. Like you just took everything that I was hopeful for and looked forward to, like no more pain and sorrow because you go through so much hell in life, it seems. At different times, it's almost completely unbearable so it was like if i if if what you're telling me that this book has done it's already all been fulfilled where does that leave me just a floating around here telling everybody hey jesus loves you and poof i'm out of here so i went through that and then i had to get real with myself and say okay is it what's the most important thing is it that he has already came, he or he is coming, or, you know, these signs, that signs, this person believes this way, this person. What's the most important thing about my salvation? Is Jesus Christ. I right. Cross rose again. Right. So that, no matter whether you believe futurist or not, or preterist or not, we all agree on that one thing, do we not? That that's our salvation. That's the major. Yeah. Our our salvation comes through the blood of Jesus Christ dying on a cross. Correct. And think about it. If 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 you're if you think your hope is just, you know, one day I don't want to be able to cry. And I mean, whether that's at the second coming or when you die. So if you died before you believe the second coming is going to take place, you're not going to. Right, so that's that's what I had to define. Where was my hope? In Jesus. Yeah. So then I accepted, hey, look, whichever way this thing's going, people spend their whole lifetime researching this and studying it. And and pass on. I mean, you know, you you see it. The books are written. People, you know. Yeah, and some don't study at all and pass on, and they both go to the same place. Right. I mean, <laughs> or yeah, true. Exactly. Some, some people are smarter than others. They can understand better than others. You know, so I, I took all that into consideration. I was like, it, this, as far as my salvation goes, my hope goes, this isn't what's important. Not Not the view. It right. was just whether or not I had a relationship with Christ. Because I'm going either way. Yes. Whether he's already came or whether he's coming, I'm leaving either way. I'm guaranteed I'm not staying here. My ticket's been punched. Right. So that helped me get past that because I got angry about it and I wanted to cry about it. And then I wanted to just say, what's the point anyway then? Yeah, you go through phases. Yeah, like all these feelings. (laughs) But then I was like, why? Why are you doing that to yourself? Because you still have Christ. Yeah, the only the only thing that for me, because it was that way for me too in the very beginning, and then I started when I started understanding the new heaven and new earth earth better, and I started understanding how I'm able to look at somebody 
because of my view and believing that the resurrection has happened, that they actually do go to heaven, the ones that believe, and that they're not in Sheol, like the Old Testament believers believed. That was great. But eschatology, what eschatology does, which you'll find in, in actually an Armageddon deception that Mike wrote, Michael Sullivan wrote, how we look at the world, our worldview can be very negative when we are a dispensationalist. We think that, I can't remember the name of the preacher that said it, that we are polishing brass on a sinking ship. Our worldview is that eventually this place is going to burn. That's our worldview. And we believe that Christ is coming soon. And we have that hope that he's going to come soon and take us out of this. Save me from this. Get me out of this. I want to escape. But his own disciples didn't have that. They were, they were in their time, between 30 and 70 AD, before their entire world was destroyed. The Jewish world was destroyed. And stayed that way for how many years? 1930 years? However many years it was? 1890 years, whatever. However many years it was. Their entire world. So, Peter, Peter was killed by Nero. Paul was killed by Nero. But let's say in the 60s, 60 AD... Within 10 years, everything that they've ever known for 2,000 years is coming to an end. Everything. That would be like us in America waking up one day and there's no longer New York City and Los Angeles, which would be good for some. But for me, like, how about there's no more America? Just imagine if your rights and your freedoms and all the things that you've known and loved and enjoyed your whole life come to an end. Where's your hope then? You see, so for me, I don't believe, because of my eschatology, my end-time belief, I believe that we are to fill the whole world with the gospel. That is our charge. And what is the gospel? To love one another, right? For us who believe, the gospel is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, was resurrected. And I, and I believe that, that he was born of a virgin. I believe that. But my eschatology forever was... I don't even know if I want to go to college because if I don't, if I go to college, I mean, Jesus come back by the time I'm a sophomore. I've heard people do that. I want to get married before he comes back. I, I want to have, have a baby before he comes before back. He comes like, back. Your, your mentality is that soon, because it's always soon. It never goes away. It's always soon. And you have people teach you like, well, he says soon because he wants everybody all the time to always be ready. Well, that's a lie because that means that the people that he told that were being burned alive because they believed in Christ, that that, that was not comforting to them. Whenever in, in AD 60, when they were being burned alive as a garden party for Nero, and he says, hold on to the faith, hold on, he's coming soon, he's coming. Hang on, do not neglect so great a salvation. That's what he's telling them. It is a, dispensationalism is the most negative view, the most negative worldview that you can have because you always think it's a coming destruction. It's all going to burn. Well, it is a bit of the old Damocles there. Damocles? Everything yes. in that worldview, everything is supposed to get worse. Oh. Everything just supposed to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes and takes you, raptures you home. Right. All right. So why get involved in politics? Why, you know? There are people that say that too. Yeah, what's absolutely. the point? What's the point in even standing up? Even saying my anything former because- pastor John MacArthur said that. You yeah. know, and Bob quoted that in in his sermon. But 
and I lived that way for the longest time. I did too. I was like, whenever I had my son, I was like, oh, I'm never going to get to see him grow up. It was, I didn't think was, I'd get married. What a morbid way of looking at life. Like, right. so, but then we, they teach us, no, that's not the way you do. You should save money and you should do, you know, you can't think of it that way. You have to live your life, but Christ could come soon, but you have to live your life and it's coming quickly. How many people believe that he's coming quickly? And the whole congregation raises their hand. And I'm sitting there thinking, holy crap, he's coming quickly. Like, uh, I am not going to bother even fixing my septic tank this weekend. I'm just not, you know, I'm just going to start pooping outside. He'll be here soon. Define the word soon for me. What does soon mean? You know, and we know biblically what it means. Well, you can you can kind of look at it like this. You should always be ready. Not necessarily because of the Truck second coming of Christ. Yes. So there, there's there is some truth <laughs> to that. Like we should ready for what? To leave this world. Yeah. But ready She's in right. what way? Because you're gonna die. Live a godly life. I'm not going to live my life waiting to die. No, that's not what I'm saying. So you live your life every day to the to the best that you can because yeah. you never know that you're even going to have the next 20 minutes because Absolutely. you could get hit by a truck. Agree. Okay, that's I see what, what I'm you're saying. saying. So you should gotcha. always be ready. You should always be living the best that you can to be at. Like Joel Osteen says, live your best life now. Well, I'm not. So <laughs> <laughs> Paul in Colossians 1 27 says, Christ in you. Is the hope, hope of, of glory. Yeah. So if our hope is flying off the earth, to me, that's a misplaced hope. And you're going to be disappointed. But if your hope is, like you're saying, in Christ, my relationship with him and his presence in me, which is how Paul defines the eschatological hope, Christ in you, um, and that is your focus, and you're not taking your eyes off of him and onto the waves, then, then you're good. That, that's where I had to get to because I was mad. I, th- I mean, I have only been going to church. Actually, Saturday will be eight years. Eight years, yeah. And so, like when this whole thing come about, it just blew me. It just it sank my ship, blew me out. Really, it did. When I was telling you this stuff? Well, at first I was like, well, I mean, you're kind of nerdy. So, <laughs> I was like, well, nerdy. you know, I kind of get it. So, he, he must be lost that's in another rabbit in hole, itself, you know. But, but I'm going to, but I love you. And I'm going to go with it because I like having conversations with you. Yeah. So, you know, I, but then, you know, I thought, well, geez, what if they are right? Where does that leave me and what I've learned? Yeah. Well, well, you know? well we're, conditioned, amazing, we're conditioned to think that we are the most important people on the face of the earth. Yeah. That's how, how Lindsay made millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Convincing I, I everyone that our generation. I think it's a genetic imperative that you treat yourself like one of the most important people on the earth. Well, Absolutely. if you say that it, we're the generation and Jesus is going to come back. Well, I think that's why we're been saying that's, that that's why people are prone to believe uh, things like that. Yeah, because why would the world not revolve around you? People don't think that consciously, exactly. but we understand it. Yeah, at, you know, but we understand our it at a level. Our worlds around us. do yes, absolutely do. revolve around us. Let's right. see, I've taught, in. I've taught my children. I'm like in two generations. People won't remember your name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you doing today to impact your world today? Don't worry about next. In two years, five years, 20 years, two generations from now, no one will know you existed unless you are Nero or Michael Jackson right. or. Well, you have goals. Yeah. You know, and, and you're going to have children, <laughs> like and our children are going to, you know, hopefully have <laughs> children and so on and so forth. So, no, you know, no. you're going to be known, hopefully, by the life that you live. 
you know, you've heard it preached. What was your dash, right? Hmm. In between your birth date and your death date, death date oh, yeah. what was your dash? Your dash so yeah. you you obviously have lifetime goals. We don't know how long lifetime is. You know, you want to be remembered generation after, you know, generation. So-and-so had a family member from way back when. But, you know, that's not, it's, it's like your hope is, your hope is now, Mm-hmm. If, if that makes sense. Right. And don't get too lost in. Yeah, I was just saying that, you know, I've tr- I try to teach my children, it's not all about you. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, wow. like he was saying, we're a me centered generation, or me, we, actually, the I, human I, beings I, in general yeah, are me centered right. from the beginning of t- well, we are from the, the bite of the apple. Ones, if you think about it, well, we're the, yeah, we have we that are. spirit. I yeah. mean, we're over everything, right? We are. Um, but what I've tried to train them is to not. Think that they're all that because we're not. We're in today, and that's all we've got. Billy, whenever you were, you know, you and I were raised very similar, actually, in this, you know, in the Baptist world, Southern Baptist world, you know, you know. And what do you think about all this stuff, man? I was with Cherry almost, almost pretty much the same thing because I was always raised that always be ready mm-hmm. because he's coming back. Don't be sinning. Don't be doing this. You need to believe. You have to get there. With Jesus, he is coming any day now. Look at the wars and the earthquakes and the wrecks. And then, you know, you brought this to me, and I was like, okay. And like I said, you make it, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm not saying you're right either. Um, I, I see your point. It was also one of those things where it was like, you know, when, when Jesus prayed the, prayed the prayer in the in the garden, you know, if this is your will, let it be done. It's almost it's almost like sometimes I think even Jesus didn't even know. You know, he knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was the, the only way. But I think, but that made me believe that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And, and the only way to get to him is through Jesus. And you got to believe in him. And so it's like Cherry said, you know, whether he's coming back or three or four times or he already has or this is heaven or this is hell or, or whatever, you know, and, and, and we, we think of we're in suffering now. And I think Jesus looks down and is like, no, you, you guys don't know what suffering right, is. Right. You know, <laughs> you know I, I did the suffering part. So I don't know. Um, just live a life like like Jesus. Help people how, how you know, like. Andy said, you know, it's it's not a hippie life. It's it's the human life, you know, and 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 do good and 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 just I don't know. I just that's how I feel. And uh you know, my grandmother would think you're probably crazy, Rick. I mean, she would. <laughs> I mean, you know, and and to find out that that this side even existed, I had no clue. You know, I was raised that Jesus is coming back and and um you know, that was it. And yeah. um so, you know, that's Oh, I've had many long dinners with my mother-in-law over this. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, she, she won't let it go. She'll just hold on. And then she'll be like, she'll, she'll stop talking. And then 10 minutes later, she'll, I have like a stack of books. Go home and read these. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh man. But like, I, I, I wasn't even knew that like this, this side has only been preached like 200 years. And and You're talking about um, dispensation, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I didn't and, know that either. Yeah, and, I thought and, it was like forever. Uh, yeah, forever. Yeah. And and uh, like the mega churches, and it's like this. Is- yeah, and and I got to thinking. I was like, okay, like so, the problems that we're having now has always been here yeah. since Adam and Eve. 
it's just we got more more people, more problems. Yeah. I think Biggie yeah. Small said that, you know. Or, I, or I, mean, <laughs> I feel like I'm the person that always points this out, not in this room, but in life. But you're safer, healthier, and just more likely to live a full life now than at any point in history. And that anybody is that an says awesome otherwise, yeah. anybody that says otherwise is is like willfully defying the progression of time. Sure, it is a better time to be alive than it ever has been, despite the problems that still exist. As long as Klaus Schwab doesn't get his way and the Great Reset des- destroy Western civilization, oh, no, God, that no, please, is because no. of Christianity. No, I want to say I do. I do want to say something though. The Great Grumbling. Let it begin. <laughs> but listen. No, I do want to say one thing. I do want to say one thing. When you have people in the world that have as much influence, like a John Hagee, who is a Zionist, who is teaching people that— There's a rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, well, what I'm saying is when you have people that have a lot of power and you have a big following of people and you have a, you can get over the airwaves and you can affect 93 million people, and the, in those 93 million people, there are senators and there are congressmen mm-hmm. and they all these people. Yeah. And we, we understand that the church has involved— has involved itself in politics for a very long time. Am I wrong? No, of, of course, course not. it has. Okay, yeah, so sure. and yeah. and there's others who aren't in the church that involve themselves in politics too. So don't get me wrong. But mm. when you take that and you start shaping your countries and shaping your world and shaping where you put your budgets at, well, and then now I, all of I a mean, sudden, your point your point is a well made one to me. That it is a an unfortunate dark view where you have. People, I mean, it obviously has never been a part of my life, but well, you have people like, like I don't want to go to college because I want to get married because I don't know when the world is ending. Thank so you. I, like that's that's unfortunate. So that, that's yeah, right. like that's that's never shaping the world really come in a up weird with way. Anybody who not at least outwardly said anything like that to me. How about John Hagee? Uh, we gotta we gotta fly all these Jews over to Israel. Oh yeah, there's those so those that weird, so that yeah. two thirds of them can die in a future tribute. Yes, yeah, totally. Now, now we can get raptured. Thing. If that is your worldview and you have political power and you have a yeah. lot of money, you are yeah, literally that's, that's shaping a world and creating a self fulfilling prophecy. Well, that's and that's well, what my book is about. Too, anyway, that's yeah. your plan, right? Yeah. That's sure. your plan. And so America is this gigantic country of people that believes you need a giant defense bill spent on the nation of Israel simply because of its belief right. in the Bible. They're and it's incorrect be belief gods. of New Testament scriptures. They're always the apple of God's eye, they think, and because of the scripture. So all this money goes. I'm talking with my hands, but they want the they want wars. Pot, they want no wars. John Hagee wants yes, they do. A war. They they want is he still alive? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But but he's just the head of a whole belief system well, I don't, of these megachurches. Like, I've never listened to him, so I mean, I know who he is, but I've never listened to but him. But you've personally. been affected by his teaching. I can I'm promise sure. you that. Yeah, yep. sure. Yeah, that's that, that's true. As much as I just I I shudder at conspiracy in general. I mean, that's true. That's yeah. obviously true in that case. Yeah. Well, that we got to shut this baby down. That many people. We got to shut. We got to shut this podcast down. This was almost two hours. Awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, go on. Go to fullpreterism.com, and you will see uh, Michael Sullivan's site. And if you're interested in reading more about what he has written in regard to eschatology and defending the preterist viewpoint, and also what we were just talking about, the worldview. Um, where with Islam and Zionism and all that, and the worldviews, Armageddon Deception, House Divided, go get those books on fullpreterism.com. And Mike, thank you for being here. Thank you, brother. 
yeah, it's really cool. And Cherry, Billy, I heard somebody had a joke. Somebody's got oh, a joke. Yeah, Cherry. She's like, it's too, it's too PG. That, and we were like, no, wait to bring listen, it. Listen, now that we've got death and the end of the world burning. <laughs> yeah, okay. now, now that we've settled that aside. Tell, it, it. tell it before Jesus gets here. Hold <laughs> <laughs> on, I'll tell you next week. <laughs> <laughs> She'll tell you soon. Yes. Oh. Oh. Hey, she's getting good. That's a preterist joke. <laughs> that could okay. be a thousand years. So, <laughs> why did all of the children eat their homework? Why? Why? Because the teacher told him it was a piece of cake. Oh. Yeah. Oh. No, Serena, you got Great. one. Well, actually, we had to take our dog to the vet. He had an entire box of Scrabble tiles, but there's been no word yet. Oh. <laughs> I love it. Nice. That goes well with your septic problem. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So a monk. <laughs> it's another uh, monk joke. Great. Here we go. So uh, this monk is sitting down and he's translating the scriptures. And as they're translating, he realizes that he's actually translating a new copy from a copy. It wasn't original. So he goes to the head monk and he's like, sir, I am copying from a copy. There is a good chance that this copy has a flaw. Shouldn't I be using the original? And the monk's like, yes, that's a horrible mistake. He says, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to try to find the original and I'll be right back. So he goes away. So the the young monk is sitting there waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. It's like 45 minutes. It's an hour. He's like, well, something must be wrong with our head monk. So he goes downstairs, and as he's approaching this door, he hears loud crying. And he's like, what's going on? So he goes in, and he opens the door, and the head monk is just bawling his eyes out. And he's like, sir, what is wrong? And he said, the word was celebrate. I don't get it. Celebrate. <laughs> yeah, celebrate as a host. Mistranslated. So all his years, yeah, no sex okay. because of <laughs> Only you, Rick. Always. <laughs> do you guys do blonde jokes? We do. Especially yeah. this one. Blonde, blonde goes into a library, um, comes up to the librarian. Ma'am, I would like a cheeseburger. The librarian looks at her and says, Ma'am, you're, you're in a library. She goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. Can I can I have a cheeseburger? All right. Well, thanks everybody for being here. Andy, Sarita, Billy. I'm trying to remember <laughs> Billy's Jared. name there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Sullivan, it's so great to have you on. I hope uh, you come back again one day. Will do. Yeah. If you don't get in trouble for being around us. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys next time on the Burroughs of Berea. Bye. Dave Cristiano and Rich Cristiano have put out a film called Mind Reader. That movie comes out um, October the 25th. And if you will go to mindreadermovie.com, mindreadermovie.com, you will see that they're putting in 25 theaters across the U.S., If you will look and see if there's a theater near you, I'm urging you to go and see this film. The Cristianos are a rare breed. These men, you met Dave, Andy. You met him right here in the studio. He is a sincere man. He loves the Lord, and he makes sure to share the gospel in every one. And he's not doing it in a way that beats you over the head or makes you feel guilty or makes you feel threatened. He's telling you that there's mercy and grace and love for those who are hurting. That's what he talks about. And Mind Reader 
movie.com. If you'll go to that, see if that if there's a theater near you. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burroughs of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. Pushing it a little bit. I pushed it just a little bit. I released it on the same day that I released David Curtis when I was I thought because eh. David Curtis is <laughs> I didn't have to put explicit content on theirs because there was yeah. none in it. But the one before it I did, you know, so it's like explicit, explicit, explicit. <laughs> this one's okay. Explicit. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Just, just put it on all of them so that Sarita feels better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you said you said when yours was first done, you were like, "Mine says explicit on it." It does. <laughs> I was like, "Wow." Yep. We get a lot of people saying, "Why are you listening to an explicit content show?" I've heard it. Really? As a matter of fact, Bob Crookshank said it. He was like, one of my friends was like, "I'm not listening to that." It says it's got explicit content, and I was like, "Dude, there's no rating system in podcasting. There's just not. It's either explicit." Or not explicit. There's no rating system. Yeah. Yeah, and it's anything, it, they'll tag anything that has religion in it, or if you talk, heaven, heaven forbid you talk about the vaccine. Oh. The jab. They'll, they'll tag that too. They'll tag a whole bunch of stuff. Well, I just put it on there because like, if we're talking about abortion, or if I'm talking about closing people's legs and a bad joke, <laughs> like I don't want a little kid hearing that in the radio. Yeah, yeah you don't want to surprise about a little somebody's kid. Yeah, yeah somebody's I want a parent to that. feel like, Somebody okay, parent, yeah. if I'm going to listen to this, I'm taking a chance. I will not Mommy, recommend that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will yeah. not recommend that one to my Sunday school girls. <laughs> Probably you not. Maybe, no, no, maybe, not, no. not the joke with the, the late. The I can, I can provide you an edited version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think our third podcast, we said Santa wasn't real. That was, <laughs> oh, yeah. That was early on. I that was say. actually Andy. <laughs> hey, kids, Santa's not real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It's it was. the big lie. <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. Are we rolling yet? Uh, yes, we are rolling. All right.